All right, how's it going? Morning, morning. Um, so real quick, just want to do an introduction. Um, you know, I am not trained to do this. I have not been to seminary, um, but I did come to know the Lord uh, in, in high school, and I am very, very passionate about the gospel and, and about sharing the love of Jesus with other people. Um, but I am actually trained in advertising. So what I do professionally is actually like build and make things look really cool and then show them to people at the right time to hopefully get them to make a purchase. So like I'll, I'll display things like, you know, you watch an NBA game and all of a sudden you're seeing some Nike shoes with LeBron. And you're like, I mean, I can't jump like LeBron, but if I have the shoes, maybe I can get like kind of close or you get like, you know, some Brooks running shoes. You're like, man, I, I really, it's a new year. I want to start working out. I want to start exercising. And you see these shoes. You're like, man, maybe like if I have those shoes, I can run faster. So really what I'm saying is my job is essentially telling people what they want to hear and then giving it to them at the right price at the right time. And it got me thinking like as I'm, I'm prepping for this, like how often do we do that in just our everyday life? Like we, we tell people what they want to hear. We kind of go with the easy message. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. We, you know, you don't want to make it awkward. Um, so then we, we dive into Amos and Amos is called to do the exact opposite. So Amos is just chilling. He's a, a farmer tending to trees, just, just hanging out. He's, he's not high up in the religious circles. He's not a, a big, like, fancy leader in Israel, he's hanging out, tending to trees. And God comes to him and calls him to go to Israel and preach basically this, this message of, hey, you guys are, are really messing up, and you need to turn from that and follow God. And so Amos, just this normal dude, is hanging out, and he is called to deliver an extremely hard message. So all that to say... Um, not trained to do this. It might be a little bit awkward. I'm going to need some grace from you all. There might be parts where I ask questions and like I can't tell anybody's reaction, but like at least like a little like wiggle or something could be great. Um, but it is awesome to be here and I'm, I'm really, really excited. So I'm going to go ahead and pray and, and get us started. <clears throat> God, I, um, I thank you for this opportunity to teach your word. God, I pray that, that your word does the, the work. God, I pray that the, the gospel is clear and the saving power of Jesus is clear. God, I thank you for Redemption Church um, and just bringing us here this morning and, and allowing us to worship together. Um, God, I, I just pray that, that you move and be glorified. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, so let's dive in here. We do have nine chapters to cover, so I'm going to try and go quick. I'm going to try and be short, but there is a, a lot of work that we have to do, so we're going to go ahead and get to it. All right. So Amos, I already went through the intro. So he was called to deliver this message to Israel, but he starts actually with the surrounding nations around Israel. So we're going to look at the, the, we have four main points today. And the first one is that God is sovereign. So every person is accountable to God. Amos shows up and he is teaching, hey, this, this nation, you've messed up. You're worshiping these other gods. Here's what you've done. This nation, same thing. You guys have messed up. You're treating people poorly. He's going around Israel to all the other nations. So we'll dive in. Each one he starts. So we'll start with chapter 2. 
And he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have the threshold of Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. And then we skip down further and he starts each section with that same statement. For three transgressions of Gaza, and then it moves down here. For three transgressions of Tyree, for three transgressions of Edom. So he's going around all these nations saying that they are accountable to God. So these are our people who are, are far from God. They're, they're worshiping other gods. They have idols. They're, they're not practicing following God, but yet they're accountable to God. So this, we start out just seeing God is sovereign over all of the nations. So let me flip here. So, like I said, we see God is sovereign to all of the nations. So, I, I want to jump here to Colossians 1, 16, 17. So, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. So, I can kind of just picture it here. Amos is, is speaking to Israel, so he's speaking to God's people, and he's pointing out these nations that are, are far from God, and I can just kind of see them sitting there like, man, he's right. Like, we're good. We're God's people. Like, we are the chosen nation. We're sitting here. We're fine. And Amos is pointing out these other nations that, yeah, man, they're, they're worshiping this God. They're, you know, they have these idols. They have these statues. All of these things that they're, they're following, but yet Israel's just kind of sitting there like, yeah, check, check them out. And it kind of got me thinking, like, how, do we, how often do we do that? Like, like, how is our attitude towards those who are far from God? So, like, you know, what, whatever the case may be, how do, we, how do we look at people who aren't in the church? How do we look at people who aren't following God? And I think, I think we get a, a really good uh, example here of, of how we should treat those people. So then we're, we're moving on now. So Israel and Judah are God's people. So there's a, a covenant relationship between Judah and Israel and God. Um, so, like I said, they're, they're sitting there and he's going through all these other nations, but then there's a, a shift in the text. So we see halfway through chapter 2 where Amos just kind of shifts, and it goes to our second point here, which is Amos has a message that is worth the risk. So this is a, a tender of trees, a, a normal average Joe who is showing up, delivering a message to the nations, Basically, hey, you guys are wrong. You are, are not living correctly. You might think that you're God's people, but the way that you are treating people and the sin that you are living in is wrong. So he is delivering a message with a huge, huge risk. So our second point is that he has a message worth the risk. So let's see what God says to his, to his people here. So now we're at chapter 2, uh, verse 6 and 7. <clears throat> Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four. So it starts out the same way he started to the other nations. But you got to see, like, they're probably sitting there like, wait, did he, he said Israel, right? Like, he's talking to us now. So he says, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the afflicted. So we see he, he calls them out and says, you, you guys might be God's people, but look what you're doing to other people. You are, I mean, he literally says here, trampling the head of the poor into the dust of the earth. 
you turn aside the way of the afflicted. So Amos is standing there delivering this message of massive risk, and all of a sudden he's saying, like, you guys are really messing up. And we see here that, that God's people deserve his judgment upon their sin. They are, they are wrong. They are sinning and, and treating people just terribly. I mean, they're selling people into slavery, and it says, for they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. And these are the people who are supposed to be God's people. And then we see here, it, it just goes on, on and on to say that they are, the people of Israel are throwing themselves at every altar. So they're doing what they're basically pointing at these other nations. They're, they're worshiping gods that aren't God. So we see here that he, God reminds them, like, hey, I'm the one who brought you all out of Egypt. I'm the one who pulled you all out of slavery. I'm the one who guided you through the wilderness for 40 years, and yet you're just throwing yourself at these idols that are false. They're fake. And so I, I, I just want to take a moment there and think, like, what's his message through, uh, to us through this text? How are we treating people in need? Like, how are, how are we treating people who are afflicted? And it goes back to the first point, like, how are we treating people who are far from God? And it's easy to, um, you know, kind of ask those big open-ended questions. But, like, as I was reading through this text, like, I start asking myself, like, how am I treating other people? How am I treating those who are, are far from God? And it actually makes me think of the day that Rachel and I got engaged. So I had this big, elaborate plan. I knew for a long time that I wanted to ask. And I was like... 80% sure she was going to say yes. So I had um, a good friend of mine in town. He's great, great musician. So I had him hiding in a park with a wig on, playing her favorite song. And then I had Jason in the black shirt back there hiding in a bush with his camera. So like I had this whole thing set up. I was, I was really, really excited about it. And I go to pick Rachel up. And we're driving down this road, heading to the park where they're hiding at. I had everything timed. I'm like, all right, one o'clock, we're going to walk in. He's going to start playing guitar. I'm going to pull the ring out of my sock. Like, everything is timed perfectly. We're driving down the road, and Rachel says, Matt, there's a family, there's a homeless family over there. Like, can we stop? And in my head, I'm like, man, it's, all right, it's 12.50. There, Jason's laying in the bush. Uh, I got Dave playing guitar under the tree. Like, I have to be there. I'm like, Rachel, we, like, there's probably, like, somebody helping them, right? Like, they'll, they'll be fine. Like, we need to go. We need to keep moving. She's like, Matt, I, like, I feel like God is telling us to stop. I feel like we need to stop and help. So we pull off the side of the road, and we go and, and get a meal and, and go and take it to this family. And then, you know, we end up getting there. I think Jason might have fallen asleep in the bush. I'm, I'm not sure. But we, we get there a little bit late. But anyway, it ends up being just absolutely perfect and I get to the end of the day where I'm sitting at my apartment and I'm like that's that's part of the reason why I want to marry this girl like I get so focused on what I'm doing and what I have to accomplish that sometimes I feel like I can't be interrupted so I'm I'm sitting looking at this text and I want to challenge everybody like we should be able to be interrupted like we should be able to stop and help people who are in need we should be able to stop and, and fight for those who are afflicted and who are hurting. Like, we need to prioritize our time in the, the right places. And if you're like me, it's, it's really easy to get 
hyper-focused on getting somewhere on time, getting something done. But I want to challenge you all, like, we should, we should allow ourselves to be interrupted. And we should allow ourselves to help those in need, even if it throws whatever timeline we have in our head, even if it throws it off a little bit. So now we're, we're going to move on here. So chapters, that was chapter two. Chapter three and four, God is really laying out like, man, you all are, are guilty. Like, here is what you have done wrong. Here are all the transgressions you've done. Here is, is what I am seeing that is, that is wrong. And then part of it is like Amos writing some, some poetry, which to me is really cool. I was an English major. I love creative writing, but I, I know that not everybody is the same. But we see him just laying out this guilt and this punishment towards Israel. Um, so then we're moving on to chapter 5. Let me make sure my, my slides are keeping up here. So chapter 5, this is where we're going to spend most of our, our time today. So this is the, the third point out of four that I have today. And this is justice for all. So chapter 5 is, is probably the most well-known, most famous chapter in Amos. Uh, again, very small book. It's a, a minor prophet. But, but this this book, this chapter especially, is extremely, extremely powerful. So third point here, justice for all. So I'm going to read verses 6 through 15. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood, we see, so wormwood is a, a bitter, nasty fruit, so turning justice into just bitterness. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface, the Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many your transgressions and how great your sins. You who afflict the righteous who take a bribe and turn aside the needy at the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good, and establish justice at the gate. It may be, establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So that's a lot. That's a, a lot of verses that we covered. So we see, again, in verse 7 where I said, Oh, you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness into the earth. So we see righteousness cast down into the earth. And then it jumps to verse 11 where he says, because you trample on the poor. So he's saying we are casting righteousness into the earth. We remember back in chapter 2, he says you're trampling people into the dust of the earth. So God is comparing righteousness to those who are being pushed down. I think that's a huge, huge thing. We see that, I mean, it's a, a side for side there where God is clearly saying the poor and the afflicted are, are righteous. And we see that all throughout scripture, scripture. And I think that just shows that God cares. 
God cares for the afflicted. God cares for the hurting. God cares for, for all of us. And God cares for those who are being treated poorly. So now we want to look really quick. What does Jesus say about this? So we're going to jump to Luke 10, 25 through 37. This is something that, that most people will be familiar with here, but I think it, is just, it just aligns perfectly. So Luke 10, 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered this correctly and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? That's a great question. Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and he saw him and passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite came to that place and saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, he journeyed, came to where he was, saw him on the ground, and had compassion He went to him, bound his wounds, poured oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took him to Denarii to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of those three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy is, is what the man, what the lawyer says here. And Jesus says, you go and do likewise. So I think we have to ask, our, ask ourselves exactly that. Who is my neighbor? I mean, we see again a, a guy in the dirt, beaten, afflicted, hurting. So I want to ask, like, how do we, how, how is our love for God demonstrated through how we treat others? Is our love for God demonstrated in our attendance here? I mean, it's, it is awesome for people to come out and fight corona and put on masks and drench ourselves in hand sanitizer. Like, that's huge. But how is our love for God demonstrated? It should be demonstrated in how we treat others and how we help the afflicted. So are we fighting for those who are in need? Are we lending a hand to those who hurt? Or are we walking to the other side of the road and trying to go around? Or maybe, you know, are we just pointing and wondering, like, why are, he shouldn't be in the dirt. Like, he didn't get beat up that bad. I mean, he's got two black eyes and he can't move and he's laying there. But, like, he should be able to take some Advil and pick himself up. I mean, there's countless times I know in my own life that I make excuses for why people are in the situation they're in. And maybe God's just calling, like, hey, you need to go love that person. Pick them up out of the dirt. Help them. Encourage them. Show them the love that Jesus has shown us. So I want to reread the end here. So so verse 14 and 15. Seek good and not evil that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good and establish justice at the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Joseph. It's not a, like, this is not a, a recommendation. He doesn't say, like, 
seek good and like you, you'll probably be okay. You'll become a great person. He doesn't say hate evil and you're, you're going to you know, be okay. You'll be all right. It is hate evil and live. Like there's, it is, it's not a maybe. It's not a gray area. It is hate evil. It is hate sin and you'll live. So I, I, I just think it's awesome how clear he makes that. And then, so at the end we see justice in the gate. So what, is the, what does that mean? So that actually means, um, so justice at the gate translate to in the, in the courts. So bring justice to the courts. There was nobody fighting for the poor, nobody fighting for the afflicted in the courts. So God through Amos is saying, we got to bring that back. We have to fight for people in need. And so he's again like calling for Israel to look at themselves fix their, their broken systems, and repent. Repent of what they've been doing and, and repent of their sin, and then turn to God and love and fight for what is good. So now we're going to move down to chapter 5, verses 18 and 27. I told you all we have a, a lot of work to do today. I'm going to try and be pretty short-winded here, um, probably talking a lot faster than I normally do, but hey, we'll, we'll keep moving. Um, so 18 through 27, it, it starts with let justice roll down. That's the title of this subsection here. <clears throat> Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fed, fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into a house and leaned his hand against a wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt sacrifices and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me your noise, the noise of your songs and the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? So I, I just, such, such powerful words here. So he has three accusations against Israel here. So we see the, the first one is this. Israel was anticipating future salvation based on the nation, the people group that they were a part of. They were anticipating salvation based on their religion and their people group, yet they were living amongst sin. They were living drenched in sin. So that's the first accusation. Amos is telling them, hey, like I know I'm, I'm a farmer. I'm like hanging out, tending trees, but God has given me this message and you guys think you're safe, but you're not. You're denying sin in your life. So we see here like sin and the enemy, they deceive us. So I want to ask you all, are we trusting in our religion or are we trusting in our relationship with Christ? Let me say that again. Are we trusting in our religion or are we trusting in our relationship with Christ? Because we see here like religion without the relationship does not bring salvation. Religion can just be practice. It can just be motions. It can just be a, a building, but it, it doesn't bring salvation. So then we're going to move down to, to point 
2 here. So let me reread verses 21 to 23. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, the melody of your harps, and let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So the second accusation here is they are worshiping while ignoring injustice around them. And God says to them, I hate your feasts. It's not like, hey, man, I don't love like macaroni salad. Uh, like I'll take, the, I'll take this barbecue chicken, but like you can keep that side. No, it's I hate your feasts. He's saying, I hate your feasts because it's for you. You're giving me these, these fattened calves, these fattened animals, but it's for you. You're singing these songs and you're worshiping for you. They're doing it to feel good. They're doing it to feel like, like they belong in this, in this like religious circle here. For, for nothing. It's not for God, it is for them. So we see in the second accusation here that Israel's worship was self-indulgent. A life of comfort in sin cannot lead to genuine worship. They're throwing these like religious practices at, at God. They're throwing like, hey, here's our, our fat animals off of this grain and everything that we've took from the poor and afflicted, giving them to God, but there's no sacrifice. They're just throwing religious practice at God, but he's, he's standing there saying, and he's giving them multiple chances. It's not like one chance and it's, it's done. You know, It's not one chance and then punishment. He says three chances, and then this is the fourth they're throwing these religious practices at God, but he wants genuine love. God wants genuine love. And it goes back to point one. He wants a genuine relationship and then genuine love and affection for himself. All right, let's keep moving. So Paige, so we're going to the, the third point here. So they're, they're carrying on their religion like we just talked about carrying on their religion, but they're refusing to repent. So God is, is still calling here, seek God and not religion. God's giving them chances to repent. He's giving them chances to, to fight injustices. Like, they know the scriptures. They know the commandments. Like, these are, are people who, they know the Old Testament. They know what God calls us to, to do and how to treat other people. But yet, they're, they're not taking those chances to fight injustice. God is not honored by singing done by mouths that won't fight for injustice. He's not honored by hands lifted in worship, but closed to those who are in need and, and reaching for help. It's not honoring to God to, to just stand in worship, but ignore and, and hate other people. That doesn't honor God, and, and we see that so clearly. Israel thinks that they're living as, as God's chosen people because of their nationality, because of their, you know, the, the people group that they're part of, and I know I've said that a couple times, but I think it's so important. Like, it just, it sounds, as I'm reading this and I'm seeing it, like, it just sounds so familiar to what we're seeing today. Like, it's, it's very easy to get kind of tangled up in, man, I'm, I'm part of the church. I'm part of this group. I'm part of whatever the case may be. So, like, I'm good. But we have God standing there saying, it's about you and me. It's about the relationship that you have with me. 
so he's, he's just calling like, you can be drenched in religious tradition. You can be born into the, the church. You can be, you know, all of these different things where you're, you're a part of a religion. But God is saying, hey, seek me. Seek good to live. So it is, it is just, it's everything. So now we're, we're going to move on a little bit further. So Amos, especially Amos chapter 5. So a lot of times Amos is referred to as a social justice prophet. And if you haven't picked up on that theme yet, like that I'm, I'm doing something wrong. Um, but he's, he's really known as the social justice prophet. And we look back to chapter 2 where it, where it starts and he's saying, man, you guys are throwing people in the dirt. You're hurting the poor and afflicted. You're selling people for sandals. Like it's, it's just so clear that throughout human history, and again, this is you know, thousands of years ago, throughout, throughout human history, sin has caused people to devalue human life. So let me say that again. Throughout human history, sin has caused people to find ways to devalue human life. So I think we need to ask. Like it's a, a really popular thing right now. It's all over the place, social justice. But what is justice? I mean, it's so prevalent today, but do we ever stop and just think like, what is justice? I think we see very clearly what justice is. Justice is fighting for the less fortunate. It's fighting for the afflicted. Justice is fighting against injustice. Like that, that sounds like a, a kind of cop-out answer. That's like the, the easy response you give to like get the question right. But that's exactly what it is. Justice is fighting injustice. So justice is seeing something that is wrong, something that is unjust, and fighting against that to make it right. And then we, we see here, like, Jesus is the ultimate example of justice. Like, we, we look at ourselves, we look at our sin, you know, we, we look at just, I mean, we're, we're born into, into sin, and then we see that, that Jesus takes that, that brokenness, he takes what's unjust, and he, he fights for it. I mean, he fights enough to, to die and defeat sin and defeat death. So I want to ask, like, how can we be like Jesus? You know, I, I think as Christ followers, like, we're called to be like Jesus. So how can, how can we do that? I think it starts with our, our worship. You know, like, we, our worship needs to be genuine. Our, our lives are, are meant for worship. Worship isn't just here. It's not just, like, listening to Ben, it's not, you know, singing songs up here, it's not like, worship is our, it's how we live our lives, it's how we treat other people. So I think we can be like Jesus through our worship. And then again, I think we need to look at how can we be like Jesus and fight injustice in our areas of influence. So I think we all have, have different jobs, we all have different areas of, of influence, so how do we fight for justice how do we share God's love? How do we show Jesus in those areas of influence? And then, like, let's make it, it really, really easy here. How can we do that today? Like, how do, how do we start that today? So how do you look at, at the rest of your day? How can I go and be Jesus to other people? How can I, I fight for the afflicted and then fight for injustice and show love like Jesus showed love? So uh, I want to kind of shift from the individual focus to like, what are we 
as Redemption Church in Covington, Kentucky, called to do? So what are we called to do about injustice? You know, I think this is kind of sad, like kind of awkward and and not really my forte to talk about at all, but I, I do think that there's a very scary and common thing going on right now where people think that your view on social justice will automatically show what political party you're affiliated with. And I think that's, that's just wrong. Our view on social justice, our view on helping the afflicted should show our love for Jesus. Our love for Jesus should be what is controlling how we view those who are hurting and those who are afflicted. So I, I, that's just a, a challenge that I, I want to leave today. And this is, again, I'm, this is my first time doing this on a, on a Sunday morning. Um, I have taught before. Um, this is my first time actually teaching without a translator. So I have taught overseas, and I always get like one or two points, and then I get to pause, and they're speaking in French or Spanish, and I get to like recollect where I'm at as they're, they're translating. So this is the, the first time that I'm doing this in, in, in this manner. So I, I want to be really careful here, and I, I want to, um, again, just ask for, for grace in this. Um, but I, I think it is, it's prevalent right now that we, we look back at a situation with Martin Luther King. So Martin Luther King is, is walking, and he's demonstrating in, in Alabama, and he's thrown in jail. And as he's thrown in jail, they go and they ask these white church leaders in the area like, hey, what should, what should we do? Like, I, I don't think there's a, a lot here. And like, Martin Luther King says, like, I have watched white churchmen stand on the sideline and they mouth just irrelevancies and, and things that are so trivial. In the midst of a mighty struggle to rid our nation of racial and economic injustice, I've heard many ministers say, those are social issues with which the gospel has no real concern. How backwards is that? Like, those are social issues with which the gospel has no real concern. So they started saying, like, MLK, your, your methods are, they're too pushy. Like, you should wait. You should wait to fight for injustice. Those are social issues. Those are political. They're not meant for the gospel. But I think we see here in Amos, like, it's the exact opposite. They're people issues. Like, they are gospel-centered issues because the gospel is the answer to injustice. Like, it is, it's just such a backward statement. And, like, I, I, I want to challenge us. I want to challenge, challenge us as a church. That should not be our answer. Like, we should never answer, this is an issue of which the gospel has no real concern. Every issue has gospel concern. Everything goes through the gospel. And again, we, we go back to Jesus. I mean, we've seen he's the ultimate example of justice. He's also the ultimate example of fighting for equality. I think he, Jesus says to each one of us, I don't care what you've done. I don't care your past. I don't, I don't care. But I love you enough. I like, I, he doesn't care how powerful you are. He doesn't care how rich you are. I love you enough to die for you. Every single one. You can be a thief hanging on the cross next to him, and he loves you enough to die in your place and bring salvation, bring eternity. Like, it's, it is not just 
fighting for equality. It's not just fighting for social justice. Like, Jesus is eternal justice. He is eternal equality. Like, it, there's a, a big difference there. And so, we're jumping here to Galatians 3, um, 26 through, through 28. So, we see there, let me pull it up here really quick. Sorry, I, I forgot my slides there. But, all right, so we see Galatians 3, 26 through 28. For in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So God, going back to to Amos here, God through Amos is saying that we must be genuine about our love for him. Like, Jesus has, has given us all the opportunity. He has, he has put us all at, at equal standing. That it's, it's all about our trust with him. It's all about our relationship with God. And genuine love and affection for God changes everything. It changes how we treat people. It changes our priority. Like my priority is, is no longer the next day. It's no longer the next year. My priority should be people. My mind should be on eternity. So how are we fighting for people who are hurting, for people who need to know the love of Jesus? How are are we fighting that fight with our mind set to eternity? It's not about right now. It is about forever. Like we, as a church and as Christ followers, like we have the message of power. We have the message of peace, hope and love. Like, we, we have the answer, and we see that how we treat others demonstrates our relationship with God. I think you see clearly through these first chapter of, of Amos, how they're treating people shows their relationship with God. So how we are treating others shows our relationship with God. Is it about religion? Is it about religious practices? Or is it about our love and affection for the Lord? So I want to ask, like, are we like Israel in Amos? That God is asking us to fight for injustice and fight for the afflicted. As Christians, are we slow to speak out against injustice, but quick to stand in church and and worship? Are we quick to, to raise our hands and to, well, I put shake hands, but now it's like fist bump or elbow bump. Are we quick to elbow bump friends at church, but slow to reach out our hands and help those in need? Amos 5, and I know we've, we've spent a lot of time here, and this, you know, that, that was kind of my, my plan with Amos 5. Um, I think all of us should, should read this chapter. But Amos 5 makes it clear. God hates worship that ignores the oppressed and ignores people that are being pushed down and, and people that are, are fighting injustice. And I think we have a great opportunity at Redemption Church to glorify Christ through our relationships. I think we need to leverage our, our areas of influence for the gospel. There's a, a lot of things, especially right now, that are trying to divide us, but Christ is standing there bringing us together, making, making us all equal. Our Savior has, has united us. So we're going to move on here, and I, I know I'm running on time, so I'm going to be quick. Um, so 
chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8 are still just more warnings to those who are kind of walking through the motions. We see warning visions. So again, he goes back to poetry and, and goes through visions for, for the future and visions for God's people. And then we get to the end here. So chapter 9. So chapter 9, um, God is saying, like, Israel is going to be destroyed. Destruction and wrath are in the future because this nation is broken. It's consumed with sin. But we look, starting in verse 11, that God has broken this down. He has broken down sin to rebuild. So this is the last point here, is broken to rebuild. God has broken down sin in order to rebuild. So let me read 11 through 15. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom. And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treater of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall re rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted. Out of that land I have given to them, says the Lord. So that, that day is, is coming to the people here in Amos that he's speaking about. Um, but for us, it's here. Like, Jesus restored Israel. Jesus restored sin. He took our brokenness. He took our sin, our, everything that is falling apart in us. He took that and he died in our place on the cross. He fought for us enough to die in our place, defeat sin, defeat death, and raise again. Our sin is, is great. I mean, we look through all of this and you just see like sin is, is so like, it's so large and it's such a, a big deal to God. But we see that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than, than this sin that is disgusting to God. But we, sin devalues human life. Sin destroys and, and sin kills. We have to trust in Jesus to defeat that sin. Jesus has made things right. And I know we've talked a lot about it today, but like the goal is not social, social justice. Like social justice is good. It is it's beyond good, but it doesn't save. The goal here is pointing people to Jesus because Jesus saves. A heart that is affectionate for Jesus, a heart that has a relationship with Jesus is transformed where it is, it's no longer about practices. It's no longer about fitting the mold and, and doing these things, but ignoring hurt people. A heart for Jesus sees people who are hurting who are far from God and says, hey, let me help. We know the answer. We know, like, we, we know what matters here. We, we know who saves. We have that, that power. Um, Jesus can change hearts. He, he, Jesus can do everything. Jesus makes all things new. So now I, I want to jump to the, the end here. So we recap our, our four main points. So every person is accountable to God. Point number one, we see God of all the nations. 
no matter who they're worshiping, what false god they're worshiping, every person is accountable to God. So how should that determine how we treat other people? How does that change our priorities? And then second, we see Amos, he's delivering a message that is worth the risk. He is telling people who believe that they're in this covenant relationship with God out of like just where they were born, basically like these practices they're walking through. But he's telling them, hey, like you all are, are wrong. He's delivering a message saying you all are living in sin and, and not bringing true worship and true honor to God because of how you are, are treating people. And then that brings me to today, like, we have a, a message. We have a powerful message that God has called us to share. We have the message of peace. We have the message of power. And we have the answer to injustice. But are we sharing it? Do we believe that message strong enough that we're willing to risk everything? That we're willing to have conversations that are uncomfortable, that are awkward, that, like, it's just tough. But the risk, it's worth it. And then let's go to the third point here. Justice will flow. So we have to genuinely seek God. We have to have a genuine relationship with Jesus. And that will lead to a life that is overflowing with love. So today, are we walking through the motions? Are we singing the songs? Are we, are we fist bumping? Or is there a genuine relationship with Jesus? Sin tries to divide us. Like we've covered, like sin devalues human life. Sin destroys human life. But Jesus says, I love you all enough to take that sin and that death and put it upon myself. So then moving on to our last point here. Broken to rebuild. So where's our, where's our focus? Do you feel comfortable because you've come to church? Are you rooting for God's judgment against those who are far from him, but neglecting to look at your own heart? What in your life needs to be broken down, stripped away, and uprooted in order to be rebuilt by the gospel? Jesus takes broken people. I know that through my life. I was broken. I was living in sin. And Jesus takes that sin and he rebuilds. Jesus is the answer to our brokenness and to the world's brokenness. Jesus will rebuild. So the last, last part here, I just want to ask, like, this is a, a lot of stuff. We've, we've covered a, a lot. Um, but truly what matters is Jesus. So I want to ask, like, are you walking through the motions are you neglecting sin? Do you like, feel fine because you've just kind of been doing this for a while? Uh, you know, known Ben or, or known Andrew or known like one of us for a while? Like, are you just walking through the motions to feel comfortable, to feel that like kind of sense of it feels good to get up and go to church and, and, and do nice things like that? Or is there a true, genuine relationship with Jesus? Jesus died for us. He loved each one of us enough to die in our place. And all we have to do is, is trust in that. And then out of that trust in what Jesus has done should flow how we treat people. 
We should love people because Jesus loved us first. So that is everything that I have today. I don't know if I'll be able to talk the rest of the day. I feel like this takes like some, some uh, fitness to do this here. But I uh, just thank you all for, for letting me do this, Ben. Thank you for letting me share today. And I, I'm really just excited about what, what God has taught me through Amos. And I, I hope that um, he has taught you all something through it. And I love and appreciate all of you. So I'm going to close us out in prayer. God, I just, um, I thank you for your word. God, it's just so alive and, and prevalent. And God, it's just, it's amazing to, to dive into and, and see just how your, your word impacts and how it is, is working. God, we, we thank you for Redemption Church. Again, we just thank you for this, this church family. But God, I just pray that we are always treating and loving people the way that you want us to treat and love people. God, we thank you for sending your son to die in our place. God, thank you for breaking down our, our sin. And God, thank you for um, sending Jesus to, to die so that we have right standing with you because of him. God, may our love for people flow from, from our relationship with you, from our trust in Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.